Today, I just got to give a shout to our, uh, our awesome usher and communion teams. Uh, we got them bouncing all around this morning. They just finished of communion, run back and grab baskets, and we cut them off where they're even done, and I get up here talking. So uh, they're, they're great servants of God, and they're here every week serving you. Isn't that pretty incredible? We're thankful for you guys. Thank you for your service. Uh, my name is Dion. I'm one of the teaching pastors. And today we're going to talk about how God might want to write an epic using your life. Now that word epic, it became a, a pretty poppy word a, a couple of years ago. Um, for a while there, everything was epic. As you heard people talking, everything could be described as epic. You'd say, wow, that was an epic night last night. Or even failures were epic. They talk about epic fails and epic wins. Or, or people would be saying to each other, bros out on the street, hey bro, that's an epic haircut. All kinds of craziness with the word epic. It was, it was everywhere. But uh, just a word of caution to you, if you're someone who's hearing that and you think about like appropriating it into your vocabulary this week, don't do it. Because it's already out of style. And if you use it, they will laugh at you. So, uh, so the young people will. So don't use it like that. But, but this word epic, you probably know, uh, is, is a really old word. It's not a pop culture word. It is a very, very old word. It goes all the way back to epic poetry. It's a, it's a literary word. And it describes these poems that were written by the great fathers of the epic. People like Homer and Virgil and later Milton. Uh, these, these great poems that were, were lengthy and big and their characters were larger than life and they were filled with adventures and, and battles and, and far off places. Uh, epic stories are stories that not only are, are grand on a grand scale, but they also have stood the test of time. And today, uh, as I said, we want to talk about the fact that it just may be that God wants to begin to rewrite your story into an epic. Let's pray. Father God, thanks so much for loving on us here this morning, uh, for giving us yourself, and uh, just reminding us that no matter how far we have fallen in life, no matter how we stumble, we never fall beyond your grace. God, what, what an incredible thing that is. And God, we pray that, uh, that you now teach us, that you challenge us through this message, that you would help us see something greater than ourselves, uh, greater than the life that we're living, and that you just help us be open to something more. We pray this all in Christ. Amen. Uh, so last week, we began this series called Rewritten.me, and uh, we began it talking about um, reading the reviews. We said, if your life is a story, and uh, it was written down in a book, or someone turned it into a movie, what would they think? You know, what would other people think about your story? Would, would they get through the first 50 pages of your book and then put it down? Uh, would they sit in the first 15 minutes of, of the movie that was based on your life and walk out and ask for their money back? We ask you to think about what kind of story you've been living. And along the way, uh, we've been doing a, a campaign along the side um, called Rewritten.me. Uh, there's a website that's out there, Rewritten.me. And uh, instead of .com, if you don't know how this works, instead of .com, you just type in .me. And, uh, and you'll go to this website, and you'll see that we uh, gave out these cards. Um, a bunch of them are up here, too. To people all over our city, you receive some of them. And people write back, and we're asking them to begin to review their story. And we asked them this question. We said, if I could rewrite my story, I would change blank. And I want to share with you a few of them that we got in this week. Uh, someone said, um, I would not have purchased my own business back in the late 90s, and I would have focused more on my marriage and family. Uh, someone else said, I would have talked to my, this, this one's kind of heavy. I, I would have talked to my best friend about her faith in Jesus so that I would have been confident about her rejoicing in heaven when she died. 
I don't know about you, but I've had moments like that where I'm just like, I wish I had more confidence in, uh, in where someone's faith was before they, before they left this earth. Uh, and then this last one, it just breaks my heart, not to get all heavy on you on Father's Day especially, but uh, someone says, if I could rewrite my story, I would change. And this person wrote, I would ask not to be born. It's heavy, isn't it? Um, as we've read through these cards, we see there's a lot of regret. And if you want to read more, uh, just to understand what's going on in the hearts of people around our community, go to rewritten.me. And uh, you'll see there's a lot of regret, there's a lot of sadness, there's a lot of hopelessness. But, but the reason this, this, this message is so important, the reason this series is so important, is because God is a master at rewriting stories. And it doesn't matter how bad your story has been up to this point, it doesn't matter how uh, hopeless your story is at this present moment. God is a master of rewriting stories and making them new. That's what this whole thing's about. Uh, you know, we've not only been uh, asking people out there in the world, in the streets, you know, uh, what's going on with their, their stories and their rewrites, uh, but, but there have been some of us on staff who've been wrestling with our own rewrites this week. Um, and as some of you probably heard, if you check your email or you've heard through the gossip chain, uh, that uh, Pastor Ryan Peterson, one of our teaching pastors and just a dear brother of mine, um, he's, uh, he received uh, a call, a job offer, and accepted a job offer to serve at Concordia University in Ann Arbor, Michigan as a, uh, an assistant professor of theology and then also the campus pastor, which, if you know Ryan, is kind of like his dream job. Um, he's got a little bit of a, of a professor in him. He's working on his doctorate right now. He loves the Concordia system more than anyone. He's a company guy, and he waves the banner for it. And, uh, and, uh, and then this other campus pastor role is just fascinating. They're basically saying, we need someone who can bring together the jocks and, and, uh, and, the, and the bookworms and, the, and you know, the, the musical kids. We, we need someone who can be the hub of all of that and bring all those people together. I don't know, do you know anyone like that? I mean, like Ryan, right? I mean, can you think of a better person for that than Ryan Peterson? I can't. And so he's been wrestling along um, with all the rest of you uh, with these questions about his story and what God is doing and if God want, might want to do something else or different or more. And, and so uh, he's deciding that God is going to begin rewriting his next chapter in, elsewhere up in, up in Ann Arbor. And he'll be up here preaching next weekend. He's got a couple weeks with us still. There's more detail in your communication piece. But uh, I just got to say that this isn't fair. We as preachers don't expect to practice what we preach here ever. Um, and uh, so it's really unfair that, uh, that we have to deal with all this rewriting stuff right now, too. But um, we know Ryan will do well, and we know God will take care of us here, here as well. But, you know, in this series, we're not just talking about our stories. We're actually looking back in the Bible to one man's story, a man by the name of Elisha, who lived about eight or 900 years before Jesus. Uh, you can read about his story in 1 Kings and in 2 Kings. And if you were here last week, you heard about the beginning of Elisha's story. Elisha started off as a man who was, who was happy, he was healthy, he was wealthy. Life was going well for him. He was out plowing in his field with a whole bunch of oxen and a bunch of plows. And he was living a good life. And then, and then this other man named Elijah, so you have Elijah with a J. And Elijah is this great prophet. And you have Elisha, that's the guy in the field. Elijah comes and he says, follow me and be my servant totally messes up Elisha's life. Because Elisha's like, I've got a good life here. What are you doing to me? And, and yet he says, you know what? I, I'm living a good story now. I could be living a better story. Let's see what God has in mind. And so he says, I'm going to go. And not only does he go, but he, do you remember this last week, two things he does before he leaves? Do you remember if you were here? The barbecue, right? Yeah, he had a barbecue, right? He, he slaughters all of the oxen. 
I don't know how his daddy felt about that, but he slaughtered all of the family oxen, takes the plow and makes it into firewood, has a barbecue, feeds everyone in the village. So in other words, Elisha's saying, there's no going back. I'm going to live a new story. God is rewriting it uh, ever since this man named Elijah comes in. And so that's what Elisha does. And that's where we left off last week. But, but um, I got to tell you that initially, Elisha's story is a little less than extraordinary. Because all he's doing initially is following Elijah around and carrying his bags and getting his coffee. He's just being a servant. He's a messenger boy for Elijah. He's not doing anything that significant. And yet, what we're going to see today is that God will again rewrite Elisha's story in, in another dramatic way and change it into something crazy. So we're going to look at this. It's, it's a pretty, a long, uh, pretty long section of scripture, um, but I, I really like it. It's from 2 Kings chapter 2, starting at verse 1. So you can open up your Bible, or you can go to your smartphone, go to uversion.com. Or we're also going to have the scripture up here because it's kind of long this week, and uh, we don't want you to get bored or think too much about lunch later. So um, 2 Kings chapter 2, starting at verse 1. It says, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. So uh, remember, two guys, Elijah, Elisha. Elijah is kind of the spiritual father. He's the prophet of God, the premier prophet, doing amazing things, amazing teaching, the only spokesperson really for God in a very corrupt age. And, uh, and it looks like his ministry is about to come to an end. So it says, uh, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Uh, Elijah said to Elisha, hey, why don't you stay here? The Lord has sent me on to another place, to a place called Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Hey, Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to another place, over to Jericho. And he replied, Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied. So be quiet. It's sort of like some of you on the way in. You're like, hey, what are you going to do now that Peterson's leaving? And I'm like, shush, you know, be quiet. I don't want to hear about that. Don't talk about that. Um, you know, Elisha, he's not excited about this news. It's not a good thing for him. He, he loves Elijah. This is his spiritual father. And everywhere he goes, these prophets are like, hey, what are you going to do? He's being taken away. How, how are you going to handle this? And he's just like, you know what? I can't deal with that right now. Just, just be quiet. I know. Shh. Verse 6. Uh, then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. Again, he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Next verse. Uh, Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. So this is a very good number of prophets standing there, and, and they're watching this. So you got 50 prophets, lesser prophets. They're kind of, you know, they work for Elijah, and they're watching this. And then Elijah and Elisha go, and they, and they stand at the banks of the Jordan River, and watch what happens next. This is, this is amazing. Elijah took his cloak kind of this rectangular cloak. He rolls it up so it's kind of like a, a staff or a rod, and he struck the water with it. And the water divided to the right 
and to the left. There's a lot of history with the Jordan River dividing, by the way. I won't get into it today. And the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha says back, Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Kind of a weird phrase, right? Uh, And some teachers will take that, and it sort of sounds like that Elisha's saying, hey, make me twice the man that you are, Elijah. You've got the spirit. I want to be twice more spiritual. That's not what Elisha's saying. Uh, Really, he's talking about Hebrew inheritance law. He sees Elijah as a spiritual father. And and if you're an earthly father and you've got four sons, you divide your inheritance to at least five pieces, and you give the oldest son, you give the heir a double portion. You give him twice the inheritance of everyone else. So here's Elijah and Elisha and 50 prophets on the other side of the Jordan. And Elisha's going, hey, you know what? These people need the Spirit of God too. You, you can have an inheritance for them, but, but Elijah, um, I, I want to follow you. I want to be your successor. Make me your heir. And it's kind of interesting because as they were traveling around to all those different places, saying their goodbyes, and all those people were saying, hey, you know, today your, your uh, master's going to be taken from you. Literally, what it says is your master is going to be taken from over you. And there's a subtle suggestion there for Elisha. Uh, Elisha signed up to follow Elijah. And if Elijah's going away, well, that means Elisha is a free man again, right? He can do what he wants. He can go where he wants. He can go back home and face the anger of dad for killing the oxen and burning the plows. But he could go back home. He, he could end this little journey he's been on and go back to his average life. But, but instead, he doesn't. What does he say? He says, he says, Elijah, I want your job when you leave. Now, how many of you, this isn't bragging, just curious. How many of you have ever been given a promotion, ever, in your life? It can be promoted from, like, you know, a junior babysitter to a senior babysitter. Right? It doesn't matter. Like, if you've ever been promoted... Right? Uh, when, when you're promoted, um, especially when, when someone comes to you and they offer you a promotion, it's a great thing. And so they say, hey, we believe in you. We think you've got a lot of ability. We love your work ethic. There's a new challenge. We'd love for you to take it on. Will you consider taking this job? And that, that's the great way to get a promotion. But there's another way to get a promotion. And that is uh, when a spot opens up and no one says a word to you about it. And, and, and yet you, you are, are sitting there thinking, I could do that job. And you eventually have to go to a superior and say, you know, that job that's open, I think I could do that job. See, that's a lot harder, isn't it? Because they're not coming to you saying, we believe in you, we support you. You're putting yourself on the line saying, I think I could step into that job and do a good job. And, and, and you've got a lot to prove then. See, that's what Elisha's doing. Elijah looks at him and says, you've been faithful. You've followed me all around. You've bounced from town to town with me. What is it that you want? And Elisha says, I want to follow you. I I want to do what you've been doing. I want to succeed you. But you realize that he's asking for a crummy job, don't you? If not, let me put it this way. Elijah is the most famous, the greatest prophet who has ever lived since Moses. Not only that, but they're living at this time when no one wants to hear from a prophet where the kings of Israel try to kill the prophets. So so think about this for a second. Elisha is asking for a job, right here, double portion of your spirit. He's asking for a job that will be just impossible for him to do. He will never ever fill the shoes of Elijah. The king is going to kill him the moment he takes on this role. And not only that, but even the people who like him are going to go, Elisha, you're a good guy, but you're no Elijah. 
right? Some of you have been there at work, right? It doesn't matter what you do, you can never live up to it. And yet when he's given this chance, he goes for it. He says, he says, you know what? I, I had a good life. I was happy, I was healthy, I was wealthy. And, uh, and now I want something greater. Let me follow you, Elijah. And Elijah says to him, verse 10, so poignant. He says, you have asked a difficult thing. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. I love part of this is Elijah just putting this back in God's hands. Uh, and you know, this is important for us to remember that if, if we are looking for a rewrite, we, we can ask God. We can say, God, I want you to rewrite my story, but ultimately he's the one who rewrites. We, we, we can participate, but ultimately, you know, God, God's in control. And even Elijah, this great man of God, says, hey, you know what? I don't know for sure that I can give you that. That's up to God. But here's a sign for you. I'll set up a sign for you, Elisha. If you see me when I'm taken, then God has granted your request. But if God doesn't let you see me when I'm taken from you, then, then you know, I don't know. Go figure out something else. You know, go get another job. So, so in this moment, Elisha has uh, put, it in, uh, put it on the line, and Elijah, he comes back to him and he goes, so uh, you know, I, I don't know that I can give you this, but, but he says something else. He says, you've asked a difficult thing. You know, living a life that is epic is by nature difficult. When it comes down to it, all of us have a choice to make in life. Uh, when we talk about our stories and this kind of story we would like to live, we can either choose between a story that is, that is prosperous, that is successful, that is easy, but relatively boring and uninspiring. Or we can choose between a life that is epic, a life that is grand, a life that is meaningful, a life that is adventurous, but a life that will be hard, that will be filled with challenges, that will often be lonely, that the uh, moments where you will have in, in that kind of life, moments where you will have um, total um, a feeling of forsakenness by God. And yet it's a life where you will see the power of God working in you and other people will see it too. And, and, it, and it's an amazing kind of life. But it's a difficult life. Asking God to write you into an epic story. And most of us, I think we have a bias. We assume you know, if we know someone who was born with a silver spoon in their mouth and marries the, the love of their life and has a, a great marriage with no problems and raises, you know, a handful of great kids who all are, are well-established and, and, you know, they die without any struggle. We look at that person, what do we say? We say, oh, what a blessed life. But let me ask you, if they made a movie of that person's life, would you go pay to see it? Would you drop 40 bucks on tickets and popcorn and soda and everything else to see that story? The story of someone who had a great life, no struggle, no hardship. It was just all roses all the time. See, I think Elijah is challenging Elisha and maybe even us sitting here today to, to redefine our understanding of what a blessed life looks like. Because a blessed life can often be, I, I think most often is, a difficult life life. I, I think those are the stories God is looking to write, not these stories of everything going well and, and dying happy. Like, sure, he wants you to die happy, but there's a lot of struggle and, and hardship and adventure and grace that God wants to show you and show others along the way. So Elijah says to him, you've asked for a difficult thing, but it's ultimately a good thing. Don't ever assume that the hard life is a bad life. Don't ever assume that the road less traveled is for suckers. 
or people who aren't loved or favored by God. See, Elijah is not trying to dissuade Elisha. He's testing him, and Elisha hears all that, and he goes, yeah, this is what I want. This is what I want. I, I would rather have a life that's filled with struggle and hardship than a life that is easy. I would rather be used by God for epic things than to live in comfort and to die a happy man, even if that means hardship for me. And ultimately, uh, God decides, and he gives Elisha what he asked for. Verse 11. It says, As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it into it. This is a sign of grief in Hebrew culture. Uh, grief or repentance or mourning where you actually tear your clothes to say things are, things are not right. Things are not whole with me. And so here you see that Elisha, is, he's, he's not happy about this. He is mourning the loss of a great man, mourning the loss of a spiritual father to him. And, and yet, verse 13, then Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak. So he tore his own clothes. He picks up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. I love this. Look at this next verse. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and he struck the water with it. And he asks, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? <laughs> See, at this point, everything has happened as, as it should, as Elijah said. He saw, Elisha saw Elijah be taken away. But, but here's the moment of truth, right? They cross this river, they're on the opposite side. He's got to get back over to where the people are. And he's standing at this river and he takes Elijah's very cloak. And, and, and you can just, you can imagine this. I mean, if you, were, if you were Elisha in this moment, you can imagine what this would feel like. He takes this cloak. And he does just what he saw his master do. He takes his cloak and he hits the water and he cries out, God, where are you? Are you here with me or have you gone somewhere else? And he waits. And look what happens. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left and he crossed over. Verse 15, last verse. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. So Elisha has his moment, and man, he goes for it. He goes big. He asks God for big things, and God answers him. And the people say, yeah, the spirit of, of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And if you read the rest of this, read it today, it's incredible. Uh, the rest of chapter 2, you'll see that immediately God starts doing epic things through Elisha. He uses him to, uh, to heal a well of water that's been, uh, that's been bad water, that's polluted. And, and he makes it well so people can drink um, quality water again. Uh, later on in verse 23, it's kind of a crazy, funny, tragic, morbid story. But there are these young men who are, who are being disrespectful to the prophet. And they're yelling at Elisha and they're saying, hey, old baldy. And a bear comes out of the woods. It says God sends a bear out of the woods to maul them for mocking God's new prophet, which kind of just makes me rethink all of the bald jokes I've told about Ryan Peterson over the years. <laughs> Not sure that was wise. I repent. Um, so immediately, uh, first or Second Kings tells us that, that God begins granting Elisha's prayer. He begins using him for very, very epic things. He takes an average story and makes it epic. 
And here's what I think. I think for us sometimes, we look around the world around us and we're filled with despair and lament at how far the world has fallen and, and we wonder where all the superheroes have gone and, and where great men and women of honor, where, where they are today who once stood in the past. But it, could it be that the problem isn't really with the world? Could it be that the problem is that people like us, people, most of us, you know, if, if you don't know God, that's okay, we're glad you're here, but if you do know God, people like us are so resistant to having God rewrite our stories into something that is epic, could that be the problem? See, you don't have to be a prophet or have special powers in order to have God use you for epic things. God uses normal people all the time. If you don't believe me, come along with us to the Global Leadership Summit. It's here in town in, in August. And uh, you will hear stories um, that will just convince you of the fact that God is still using ordinary people. Because you'll hear from great business leaders and CEOs and people, you know, that I can't identify with because they're super smart and educated and, and, uh, and, and, you know, really gifted in leadership. And I can learn from them, but I can't identify with them. But you will also hear from ordinary people, you know, kids and, 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 and people, obscure people you've never heard from before who God taps on the shoulder and they say, yeah, go ahead and use me for epic things. And God does. Ordinary people that God uses for amazing things, epic things. Or, or come along with us as a church the next time we go to a place like Cambodia, because I'll tell you, God is doing epic things there. If you just need to be reminded that God is still powerful like this stuff in First and Second Kings, uh, just come with us to Cambodia, because I, I just got back from there a week ago, and um, it's just amazing to me what God is doing. I mean, people showing up in, in, in mobs, way more people than we thought, who are eager to hear about Jesus. And many of them um, are, are new baby Christians and they're trying to figure this out. But many others are, are total seekers. They are just curious about who Jesus is. Uh, while we were there, uh, we mentioned last week, we baptized 10 adults um, in, in one village. Just incredible to watch people come into to faith. Uh, just, you know. Uh, but, but one of the greatest things that happened, one of the greatest stories I heard while I was there also, uh, centers around this, uh, this young man here. I think we got a picture of him up here somewhere. Uh, yeah, the guy in the black shirt. Um, this young man, one day, it was our last day in the village, um, and he had, he had been interesting to me because every time I'd ask a question, um, no one would answer, but he would give an answer. And he seemed to know his Bible a little bit, and he just seemed eager, more eager than everyone else to learn. And so on the last day, uh, after we had taught a lot of Bible stories about God's grace, um, I asked them to share stories of God's grace, how they had seen it. And uh, this young man got up, and, uh, and the pastor who serves this village corroborated his story. Um, and he began to tell the story. He, he said that for um, a long time he was wild. And I don't mean wild in the, in the you know, American teenager sense of wild. What he meant by wild is that he was so out of his mind that he was someone who had to be chained uh, by hand and foot in shackles. And there were even times when he would overpower those chains and break them. That he was absolutely out of his mind, could not be tamed. And they took him to traditional tribal doctors and they tried to do their stuff and it didn't work. And, and they took him to Western medical doctors and, and, and they tried to treat him and that didn't work. And finally, this, he wasn't a Christian, finally a group of Christians found this, found this kid and, uh, and they prayed over him for three hours. Laid hands on him, prayed over him for three hours. At the end of three hours, he was set free. No more chains. Uh, back in his right mind. Not only back in his right mind, but eager to learn more about Jesus. Because of that, he became a Christian. 
mean, if, if you think that the Spirit is gone or God isn't powerful anymore, uh, c- come, seriously, it, it will blow your mind to see God still doing epic things, rewriting people's stories. Because of this young man and his story, there are a number of people in that village who now follow Jesus because Jesus could do for him what no one else could. It's amazing. But what really gets to me every time I go to a place like Cambodia is that, you know, we go and it's hard and we do a lot of travel and, and we're gone 12 days or something. And, and, and as we leave, it always strikes me every time I've been there that there's a whole crew of people, many of them are Americans, who are staying there to continue the work. They're fighting it out in the trenches, you know. They're on the frontier of, of uh, God's kingdom advancement. And a lot of us, you know, we sit here and we go, man, those are special people. I don't know how they can do that. And God bless them. That's a really hard job. And, and I think we're right. It is a really hard job. It's very difficult. And yet, here's what I've, I've come to learn about them. They know something that we don't. They know that being a part of God's epic work in this world being out on the frontiers of ministry where God is, is taking you through difficulty and hardship, but where God is showing up in big ways, it is a far more blessed life than living a life that is comfortable, that is prosperous, but ultimately without meaning. See, I wonder if God is not sitting up in heaven today looking down at all of us, and in this room he sees the next Mother Teresa, he sees the next Winston Churchill, he sees the next Nelson Mandela, and he's just waiting for people like us to raise our hands and say, God, I am willing to let you rewrite my story and to do epic things with my life, even if that means I'm asking for a difficult thing, God, I'm asking for it. Think that could be true? But just so you understand, um, you know, all of this doesn't mean to live an epic story. It doesn't mean you have to leave home and go into a far-off place. I mean, I, I think for a lot of us, most of us, probably 90% of us here today, if, if we really are serious about this, if you feel the Spirit tugging on your heart, if you feel like God is, is nudging you into something more, the absolute best thing we can do is to begin being more faithful exactly where we are. In the Middle Ages, they hatched this idea of vocation. And they said, if you want to do epic things for God, the best thing you can do, the best thing you can do is to be who you are, where you are, and be that thing to the full. I love the way that John Gardner put it. He said, excellence is doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. And I would say the same thing is true if you want to live an epic life. Begin by doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. Or even Jesus Uh, In teaching one of the parables, he said this. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. See, if I could sum this all up, I would say this. That an extraordinary epic someday depends on extraordinary faithfulness today. An extraordinary epic someday depends on extraordinary faithfulness today. If if you feel a stirring in your heart right now, don't let anything put that fire out, please. But what you do while you're waiting on God to create an opportunity for you like he did for Elisha, what you do until then is is you you evidence extraordinary faithfulness today. That's what Elisha did. right? Elijah says, leave your family, leave your farm, come and follow me. And he's carrying bags, he's doing nothing significant, but he's faithful. And Elijah says, I'm going to go over here, you don't have to follow me, just take a break, you've been working hard. And Elisha goes, no. You ask me to follow you, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go there, and I'm going to go there, and I'm going to go there, and I'm going to be faithful now. And here's what I believe, that if Elisha hadn't learned faithfulness there, he never would have had the chance 
to be faithful with more. He never would have had the chance to be Elijah's successor. See, you ultimately can't control when God comes tapping and says, hey, I've got something crazy big that I want you to do, and it's going to be an amazing adventure. You fully can't control that. But what you can control in the here and now is that you can be extraordinarily faithful today where you are. Let me talk to dads for a minute. Because uh, here we are, it's Father's Day. And, um, you know, I, I know how hard it is to be a dad. But, man, this is what I have to tell you is, you know, every man probably has a dream in his heart for greatness. But you'll never be a great man until you learn to be faithful with the ordinary things, with, with the normal things, with the day-to-day things, until you learn to be faithful as a dad. And, man, God's given us this calling to help save our families from a life that is prosperous and good and, and yet ultimately meaningless. And I know as dads, we want to provide and we want to protect, and that's part of it. God wants you to do that too. But, but God also wants you to be the leader in wrestling with your family to figure out how God might want to use your family in epic ways. And until God actually opens that door for you, the best thing you can do is to be extraordinarily faithful at home. And I know that's a terribly hard thing. And so, uh, you know, women, if you're married to a man who's got that kind of heart, thank God for him every day and do everything you can to encourage him. Because it is, it is the hardest thing. And if you're in a family where that's not the man of the house, that's not your dad, that's not your husband, don't hate him for it. Instead, pray for him and encourage him. Pray him into being, don't nag him. I said, don't nag him. Pray him into being the man that God, that God wants him to be. You see, everything in life comes back to this this simple thing, being faithful, extraordinarily faithful with what we have today. I think most of all, I'm just closed with this, most of all, uh, this is true of our relationship with Jesus. You know, if you ever want to be used for significant things, if you want to be saved from a life that is good but meaningless, then the best thing you can do is learn how to be extraordinarily faithful with the gift of God's grace, the gift of the gospel to learn what it means to be loved by Jesus. We talk about it all the time, but I think we barely scratch the surface to understand what it means to truly be loved deeply, so deeply by Jesus Christ that he was willing to give his life for us. See, if you want to talk about faithfulness, be faithful there. As I read these cards and all this regret, Here's what I know, that that if you can't learn to accept God's grace for your past and for all the things that you've done, if you're still living in condemnation and and you can't accept the, the work of Jesus to cover over that and to set you free, then you will never be able to accept God's grace for your present or your future. See, when it comes to being extraordinarily faithful, start being faithful with taking hold of the gifts that God has given you in Jesus his love and forgiveness, and learn to love him back. See, I believe that God has great things in mind for you. Um, I, I just believe that this area of our country has been extraordinarily blessed. And I wouldn't be here serving this church if I didn't believe that God didn't have amazing stories to write through you. But here's what I also know, that, that in order to be Uh, to live an extraordinary epic someday, it all starts with being extraordinarily faithful today. And it's for that that I want to pray for all of us. Pray with me. Father in heaven, thanks for your love. 
And God, as I say that, it's, it's trite. Um, my words are trite. Your love isn't. And so I pray that you would teach us in increasing measure what it means to take hold of your love that surpasses all knowledge. That we'd be able to take hold of, of your greatness and your immeasurable love for us. And God, help, it, help us to uh, apply that to our, our past failures and our regrets and, and even to our future and to our future fears and our doubts and our lack of trust. But God, I pray for all of us that you'd begin to rewrite our stories in epic ways. God, you know, just me personally right now, um, I, I offer myself to you in that way. If, if you want to do epic things through me and if that means hardship and difficulty, here I am, God. And God, maybe there are a few others here today who feel the same, and here we are. And yet, God, while we wait on you to create those moments or those opportunities or to, to rewrite our story into those new adventures, um, help us be focused on being extraordinarily faithful today. God, give us your grace. Give us your spirit. Let us not be condemned or frustrated or feel like failures, but give us, give us just a, a resilient, energetic spirit that gets up every day excited about the opportunities and the adventures that you put before us. Thanks for your love and favor. Seal us in it, we pray in Christ. Amen.